accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior, getting baptized at Rock Hill, now using his gifts to serve the Lord. That's what it's all about. First Samuel chapter 16, new series of messages today, change of heart. And we're going to look over the next several weeks about how God is concerned with what's taking place on the inside. And today we're going to start in First Samuel chapter 16, verse number one. If you're there, would you say Amen. All right, I'll give everybody else a little minute to find it. First Samuel 16, verse number one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and, I, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he called them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, and he said, Surely, everybody say, Surely. Leave it in the chat today. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Everybody say, Height. Look not on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you in this place. God, thank you for what you did in the first service at the nine o'clock hour. And God, I pray that you would meet with us in a powerful way today in this 11 o'clock service. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be beneficial for us. And God, I pray that we can have a better understanding of how to have a heart that is in alignment with your heart. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that needs a change of heart, that needs a new perspective, that we would find it today and that we would seek to make decisions that uh, reflect your glory and your goodness on our lives. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. When I was in college, I was dating my lovely and beautiful wife, Katie, and she had a heart condition called SVT, superventricular tachycardia. And because of that condition, SVT, she was required to go into heart surgery. And so when we were uh, dating and in college, uh, Katie went into heart surgery in Seattle, Washington. 
and I flew up to Seattle to be with her for that uh, heart surgery. It was a four-hour-long surgery. And so you can imagine uh, my uh, nervousness uh, about the whole thing. And I was there praying and, and, uh, and uh, hoping that everything was going okay there at the hospital. And uh, it was a four-hour-long surgery. And uh, I was uh, kind of pacing back and forth. And I decided to go down to the gift shop and get something for Katie for when she came out of surgery that I could give to her uh, when she came out of surgery. So I went down to the gift shop and uh, I saw a large balloon there in the gift shop. And they didn't have a lot of different variations of balloons, but this one particular balloon that I saw was a giant hamburger balloon. And uh, it didn't say anything, um, didn't have any words on it or numbers. It just was a hamburger. And I thought, that's really weird, but maybe Katie will think it's funny. So I'm going to buy her this hamburger balloon. So I bought this hamburger balloon and uh, uh, Katie came out of surgery. Everything was successful. Uh, praise the Lord. And uh, I walked in there with that hamburger balloon and uh, I gave it to Katie. And the good news is she did think it was funny. Uh, the bad news is she just came out of surgery and she was feeling a little bit nauseous and the hamburger made her want to throw up. And so I had to take the hamburger out of the room because she couldn't uh, look at it. And so probably not uh, the best call on my part to get a hamburger balloon for something coming uh, right out of surgery. You know, whenever you're talking about the heart, you're always talking about a very serious subject. Whenever you're dealing with matters of the heart, it's something that you want to pay attention to, right? If you are experiencing chest pain, uh, you would want to go to the doctor right away and diagnose why you're experiencing that pain. You would take uh, many different tests, an EKG, an MRI, some x-rays, and you want to uh, see why you are having that pain because anytime uh, it could be a matter of the heart, it's something that you really need to pay attention to. And the question that I want us to consider this morning is how do we diagnose the condition spiritually of our heart? How do we take a look within and ask ourselves, spiritually speaking, do I have a heart that is right before the Lord? Now, the Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, for the word of God is quick. That means it's alive, it's, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so what uh, Hebrews 4 is telling us is that the Word of God is so powerful that when we read the Word of God, it's really actually reading us, and it exposes the intentions and the desires of our inner person, our heart. The Word of God is a, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the, of the heart. Now, in biblical times, the seat of the emotions was actually not the heart. Uh, in today's culture, the seat of the emotions is the heart. That's why when we say things uh, uh, to a loved one, we say, I love you with all of my heart. You know, for hurt, we say, my heart is breaking uh, for this because the heart is the seat of the emotions. In biblical times and in biblical culture, the heart was not the seat of the emotions. It was actually your bowels or your belly. And so you can imagine the poetry was a little bit different back then. You know, I love you with all of my bowels, <laughs> you know, uh, my bowels are breaking for you. And, uh, and that was kind of, uh, that was kind of the, uh, uh, the way to communicate emotion. And in the Bible, the heart was not primarily the seat of the emotion. The heart was the center and the seat of our whole being. And so the heart was much more than just an emotional thing. The heart represented your, your mind, your will, your emotion, the center of who you are spiritually, physically, and mentally. It, it's, it's the inner person. And that's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with everything that's within you. Love God and love others. See, it's your whole inner person. Your heart represents the seat of your, your whole 
person. How many of you uh, like board games? Anybody like that? You like to play board games? How many of you are like, I'm not into board games. I don't like, I try to avoid board games. Okay. Uh, My mom loves board games. She's always wanting to play board games whenever the family's together. Recently, we got a board game called Throw Throw Burrito, where you basically just throw burritos at people, and it's, it's a great game, okay? You got to play it. And uh, my mom, uh, she loves to play board games, but my oldest sister, Danielle, she hates to play board games, and she never wants to play. And so I always take it upon myself to invite her to play every time we're playing a board game uh, because I know that she doesn't like it. And so uh, Danielle, uh, she'll, uh, you know, uh, come and play with us. And it's always funny to watch her because, you know, she's not paying attention. She's looking at her phone. Her cards are all messed up. She doesn't know the rules of the game. Her heart is not in it. She'll show up to the table, but her heart's not there. And I think if we're not careful so often in life, we can show up to the table, but our heart's not in it. But we can show up to church on Sunday, but our heart's not in it. We can show up to small group, but our heart's not in it. We can show up to work and say, hey, we, we want to work for the glory of God, but our heart is not there. And we can go through the motions, but the question is, where is our heart? On the inside, what are our desires? What are our intentions? What's going on within? Now, now help me finish this statement. David was a man after David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, there was something about this Old Testament character, David, that we're going to look to this morning, that, that his heart was in alignment with God's heart. And what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is uh, this uh, judge of Israel, Samuel, this prophet of Israel, is going to anoint a new king of Israel. He's going to go and anoint and what we know uh, to be David, the next king of Israel. Now, through this process, God is teaching Samuel some things. He's teaching that he is not primarily concerned with a position or a title or someone's appearance or their status. He's not concerned with what's on the outside. He's concerned with the heart. He's concerned with what's on the inside. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to give us four indications that you might need a change of heart. Four indications that you need a change of heart. If you're ready this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, here's the first indication you might need a change of heart. Number one, when you find yourself stuck in stagnation. Notice verse number one, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says this, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? What we find in verse number one is this prophet Samuel, he is mourning at the condition of Israel. He is mourning because he had anointed Saul uh, being uh, king. Now, to understand uh, the reason why he is mourning, we have to remember and recall that the people of Israel, they wanted a king. Uh, God was their king. But they rejected that, and they wanted a human king. And so they went, and they asked Samuel, uh, give us a king. We want a human king. And so God, even though he did not want them to have a human king, he allowed them to have a human king, and they anointed Saul to be king, which uh, reminds us of a principle that God's allowance does not always equal God's endorsement. Sometimes God will allow something to happen, but that does not mean his stamp of approval is upon it. And the reason is because God has given us a free will uh, to make uh, our own decisions, and sometimes he will allow something to happen uh, that is not uh, within his endorsement. And so uh, the people, they request for a king. God said, I don't want you to have a king, but you can have a king because that's what you want. And so uh, Saul was anointed to be king, but Saul was a bad king. He was a bad leader. And in fact, 1 Samuel chapter 13 kind of describes a little bit of, of what was taking place during this time. And so uh, it says this in verse number 6 of 1 Samuel 13. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, 
for the people were distressed. Everybody say distressed. Leave it in the chat today. Distressed. The people were distressed. They were stressed out. The people uh, did hide themselves in caves and thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And so that kind of adequately describes the scene that was taking place when Saul was king. How was his kingdom going? Well, the people were hiding. The people were uh, uh, scared. They were filled with anxiety. They were nervous. And so the people didn't have a great response uh, uh, to what was happening with Saul's leadership. Uh, 1 Samuel 14, 24, it says the men of Israel were distressed again. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. And so none of the people tasted any food. Saul was borderline insane. He was cruel to the people, would not even allow them to eat. And some of you are like, that's where I draw the line right there. If I have a bad boss or a bad leader, but he tells me that I can't eat, I'm out of there, right? Like that's where I draw the line. Saul said, you can't even eat. And because of these conditions, Samuel, the prophet, is mourning. He is heartbroken over what's taking place. First Samuel 15, verse number 11, says this. This is Samuel speaking. He says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Samuel was mourning. He was heartbroken. Saul uh, was anointed to be king, but he's a bad leader. And now the people are distressed, and so he was heartbroken. By the way, when we look around at our culture today, and we look around at the sin and the evil and the wickedness, we too should be heartbroken. But when we see the sexual immorality and the biblical illiteracy and the rampant sin that is taking place in America and around the world, hey, we can't have an attitude that's just apathetic, that's just like, well, that's kind of a bummer, but I'm just going to stay in my bubble. No, we ought to have a burden within us that say, hey, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And by the grace of God, I want to make a difference in the culture and the world that I live in. We ought to have a burden. We ought to say, man, God has so much better for us than this. And so Samuel was heartbroken. But here's what I want you to see. The problem with Samuel was not the logic of his mourning. The problem was the length of his mourning. He was mourning for the right reason. Saul was a bad king. The problem was not his logic. The problem was his length. God had to come to Samuel and say, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul being rejected as king? How long, Samuel, are you going to cry? And how long, Samuel, are are you going to be heartbroken over this? Hey, it's time to move beyond stagnation. It's time to get up and do something for the glory of God. How how long? He he was stuck in stagnation, the the length of his mourning. And so God has to come and rebuke him. He says, when are you going to start trusting me again? When are you going to start being active again? When are you going to move forward and beyond this Stagnation. You know, the truth is, some people are comfortable in their misery. Some people are comfortable in their misery. I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 5 where Jesus is going and he goes to the pool at Bethesda and where the people waited for the stirring of the water and whoever was first in the pool would be healed of whatsoever disease they had. And Jesus shows up where all of these sick people are and he goes and he finds a certain man, the Bible says, who was sick 38 years. 38 years he had this crippled state where he couldn't move, he couldn't walk. 38 years he was at that pool, and he never could get in the pool. He never could be healed. 38 years in that stuck condition. And when Jesus goes to that man who was sick 38 years, Jesus asks him an interesting question. He goes to that man, and he asks, Wilt thou be made whole? He says, Do you want to get better? Doesn't that seem like an odd question? Uh, That would be like me going to the hospital to pray with someone that's been in the hospital for 38 years. And I walk in the room and I say, do you want to get better? 
The answer seems obvious. Of course I want to get better. But if you think about it a little bit longer, uh, if this man that Jesus was talking to who was sick for 38 years, uh, no doubt he had someone coming and bringing him food. No doubt he had someone taking care of him because he was surviving there. And if this man were to be made whole, he would all of a sudden have a whole new world of responsibility. He would now have to get a job. He would now have to uh, provide for himself. He would have to get his own food. He would have to get a, a, a new schedule. And so Jesus asked him, do you want to get better? Because some people are comfortable in their misery. Some people are comfortable being stuck. And so God comes to Samuel and he says, how long are we going to do this? When are you going to start trusting me again? And I just want to encourage somebody today. Now is the time where we need to ask, you know what? Uh, How long am I going to stay in this condition? Because God is saying, hey, it's time to start trusting me again. It's time to start believing again. It's time to start being active in your calling again. How long? It's time to get up. It's time to move forward. See, in this season, we must be careful, but we cannot be fearful. We can be discerning, but we cannot be debilitating. We can be careful, but we can't be fearful. We can't stay stuck in stagnation. We can't stay stuck in this season. God comes the same. How long? The Bible says in Romans 8, 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Hey, hey, we ought to start living like, like we are called conquerors. But so often we live in a place of defeat, in a place of discouragement. So God has to come to Samuel and he says, hey, uh, how long? And then he, he offers the remedy to this situation at the end of verse number one. He says this. He says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. And I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And so God tells Samuel, hey, I want you to go and fill your horn with oil. That was uh, what they would do to anoint a new king. He says, guess what, Samuel? I have a job for you to do. You know one of the greatest things that you can do when you find yourself in a season of discouragement or a season of depression is to re-engage in the mission that God has given you. So often when we find ourselves stuck in stagnation, we just kind of want to wallow and pity in our circumstances. And God says, hey, I still have a job for you to do. I still have an assignment for you to do. Alexander McLaren said this, the true cure for overmuch sorrow is work. Uh, The true cure for overmuch sorrow is work. Now, I know that there's more involved with that. I don't believe that's an all-encompassing statement, but his point is this. When you find yourself in a season of sorrow, uh, be reminded of the job that God has given you. And God comes to Samuel and says, hey, it's time to get up and go. Can I encourage you today? I know that when we look around our world today, there is a lot that we could complain about. There is a lot that we could become overwhelmed about. There's a lot that we could become exhausted about. But I just want to remind you, there are still people in our city and in the Inland Empire that need to hear the gospel message. There are still children that need to hear about the love of God and that God loves them. There are still teenagers that need to know that there is a purpose for their lives and there is hope for their situation. There are still marriages that are about to split up that God says, hey, I can bring restoration. Hey, we still got a job to do. It's time for us to consider how long am I going to stay stuck in this situation and be reminded that there is a mission that God wants me to fulfill. How long, Samuel? The Bible says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. This leads us to the second indication that we might need a change of heart. Uh, number one is when we find ourselves stuck in stagnation. Number two is this, when you resist the instruction. You might need a change of heart if you find yourself resisting the instruction that is given. No, notice verse number two. If you stay with me this morning, would you say amen? amen? Verse number two. 
And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Notice Samuel's objection to the command. He says, okay, you want me to get up and go and anoint the new king of Israel, but if I get up and go, then Saul will certainly want to kill me. If Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint a new king, then he's going to come after my life. Can I just remind you today that following God's plan has never been without risk? God never promised us that following Jesus was a life of convenience and safety. When did we come to believe this false idea that when we're following Jesus, that everything was going to be a perfectly safe uh, and well-manicured environment? Samuel says, God, if I go, if I obey you, there's danger involved. And God says, and? Jesus said, those that follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll fall into this prosperity theology uh, gospel where it's like, man, I'm going to give my life to Christ and then everything's going to be perfect and I'm going to be in this safe bubble. And God says, that's not what it's about. Samuel says, how can I go? Uh, Saul will try to kill me. And God says, it's time for you to move forward. And so what we see is he resisted the instruction because it wasn't comfortable. I resisted the instruction because it didn't quite make sense to me. And if we're not careful, we will read the instruction found in God's word. We'll read the principles found in God's word. But because it doesn't align with our agenda, we resist. Pierce Morgan, one time in an interview with a pastor, he said they were talking about the Bible. And he was trying to be respectful uh, to the pastor when he was talking about the Bible. And he said, he said my view on the Bible is not uh, so much that we should reject it, but he said, we shouldn't accept the Bible, but we should rather adapt the Bible for the culture that we're living in today. So let's not accept it, let's adapt it. But see, the problem with that is the Bible says in Revelation 22 that no man should add or take away to the words of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, verse number 5, that every word of God is pure. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so it's not our place to pick and choose what we want to believe. It's our job to say, hey, this is what God said. Therefore, I believe it and I will submit to it. And a lot of times we find ourselves just resisting because it doesn't align with the cultural norms, with what's accepted in culture today. And so I'm just going to reject or resist what the Bible says. Gallup did some reporting on the state of America and our knowledge in relationship to the Bible. And they found some interesting reports. They said that fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to Barnard Research Group, 60% of Americans can't uh, name five of the Ten Commandments. And George Barnard went on to say, no wonder why people are breaking the Ten Commandments. They don't know what they are. See, we're living in an increasingly biblically illiterate nation where we have rejected God's word and strayed from God's word. And what we see all the way back in 1 Samuel 16 is, is, is Samuel questioning God at his word. Can I just encourage you, never put a question mark where God puts a period. God says, I want you to go. And Samuel says, how can I go? It's dangerous. I don't know. It's not safe. And God says, I want you to go. But he wants him to submit with two things. First, he wants him to submit with wisdom. Everybody say, with wisdom. Leave it in the chat today, with wisdom. See, God does not want us to be foolish and, and blind when it comes to our faith. He wants us to receive the instruction that he gives us with wisdom. Because uh, notice how the Lord responds uh, uh, in verse number two. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
I love God's response here to Samuel. He says, hey, I know that you're a little uh, scared if someone finds out uh, that you're going to anoint a king. Saul will want to kill you. I know that you're nervous about that. I know that fear is in your heart right now. And so what you should do is just have some wisdom and go to make a sacrifice uh, 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 there in the land. And so uh, that will give you uh, an opportunity to go there unharmed. And so God was saying, hey, you can exercise wisdom. And see, we are called to obey and submit to uh, God's word and submit to God's instruction, but we are to do so with wisdom and with discernment. And by the way, if anyone lacks wisdom, James 1.5, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. Hey, if you're lacking wisdom today, God wants to give it to you. He's ready to give it to you. And what Samuel needed was uh, submission in a heart that says, okay, God, I'll submit to you and I'm going to do it with wisdom. I'm going to be smart about this. Uh, there's nothing wrong with exercising discernment and discretion and wisdom. And so he submits with wisdom, but then he also has to submit with faith. Notice it in verse 3. The Lord says, and call Jesse to the sacrifice. And then he says, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And, and I love this. God gives him the next step, but he doesn't give him all the steps. He says, I want you to go to Jesse. And once you get there, then I'll reveal the next step. And that's exactly how God works. A lot of times we want God to reveal all the steps, and we want God to show us exactly how it's going to all play out. But that's not how God works. Uh, my, my children for Christmas, they received a lot of uh, Legos, little Lego sets. And so I've been building a lot of Legos recently with them. And I've also been stepping on a lot of Legos, which the hype is real. It hurts very badly. And, uh, and so I've been putting together Legos, and uh, it's actually been... It's actually been enjoyable putting Legos together with my children, and I love how, maybe the OCD in me, I love how everything is just perfectly in order, and all the instructions and steps are right there in front of me. And I don't mean to brag, but I'm pretty good at putting together children's Lego sets with the kids because I can follow those instructions. I love it when it's number one, number two, uh, all, all the way. I can follow step by step. That's not how God's will works. It's not just one, here's all the steps laid out in front of you so you can see exactly what your future holds. No, it's one step at a time. Hey, just go and submit by faith, and then I'll show you what to do. See, we would love to have all of our questions answered at first. We would love to see how it's going to play out. Because if we know that everything's going to be safe, and we know that everything's going to be perfect, then I'll follow God. But my friends, that is not faith. Faith is stepping when you can't see the whole staircase. Faith is stepping when you don't exactly know how it's going to be played out. But even though you don't have all the answers figured out, you know what God has said in his word. And so I'm going to submit to it with wisdom and with faith. And that's what Samuel does. The Bible says in Psalm 56 verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Because my trust is in the Lord. And so we have to submit with wisdom, with faith. This leads us to our third indication that we might need a change of heart. Number three today is this. When you aren't looking where God is looking. You might need a change of heart if you're not looking where God is looking. Notice verse number six. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? And it came to pass... When they were come, that he looked on Eliab. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He, he was so confident. How many of you have ever been so confident in something, but you found out later that you were actually completely wrong? Anybody like that? And uh, where you were just so confident and willing just to bet anything, and then you found out, wow, I was really off base on that one. 
Jesse and Samuel were looking at Eliab. Man, look at him. He looks impressive. He's tall. Surely the Lord's anointed is before. This is the guy. Of course it's the guy. Look at him. It makes perfect sense. Eliab is the guy. That's the next king. The problem is if anyone should have known that that wasn't the right criteria to choose a king, it should have been Samuel. Because Samuel knew when uh, he was choosing Saul what kind of uh, impressive stature that Saul had to be king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 2, it says, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Saul was impressive. He was tall. Tall Saul. He was just, he was impressive from the outward appearance. And man, look at him. He's head and shoulders above everybody. But Saul turned out to be an evil, wicked king that wanted to currently kill Samuel. And so if anyone should have said, you know what, maybe I shouldn't choose based on height. Uh, Maybe now would be a good time to do that. But Samuel was blinded by the external because so often aren't we all. Samuel was blinded by the external. And so God has to teach him something in verse 7. Notice it, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. Samuel, I want you to start looking where I'm looking. He he says, Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, we measure by height. God measures by heart. And a lot of times we skip to the primary application of that verse and we say, man, God's just concerned with my heart. And so that's all that matters. But we skip out on that little phrase that says, man does look on the outward appearance. And I want to encourage you, don't skip over that part because we have to understand that it's in our human nature that man does look on the outward appearance. And that means that we have a responsibility by the way that we live our lives to be a good testimony for God. We can't, we can't just have this idea that says, well, if God only cares about my heart, then I don't care what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what I do because God only looks at my heart. That would be a gross misapplication of the text because man does look on the outward appearance. And the Bible still says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It's our testimony counts. So man looks on the outward appearance. But the primary application of this verse is that God measures things differently than we measure. Man looks at the height. God looks at the heart. See, we like to measure by height. I have a tape measure with me today. And uh, me and my son, Luke, we, we like to constantly uh, measure how tall he's getting. And uh, we've got this uh, little notch on our, on our wall by the kitchen where I'm constantly measuring, seeing how tall he gets. We want to know what rides he can ride at Disneyland and, and uh, how tall he is for certain things. And so, you know, we, we like to use this to measure uh, the height of things. You know, but I think that we do that when it comes to our everyday lives. We constantly measure by height, by what we can see. And that, that person has a really nice car, man. That, that's awesome. That, that person's house is great. And look at that person's Christmas card, man. There's, there's some height to that. Uh, they, they have it all put together. See, we tend to measure by, by what we can see, by height. We even do that when it comes to ministry things. Wow, that was a really big attendance. There was some height to it. Wow, that, that worship sounded great. Uh, there was some height to it. Energy was good. Height, there, that's height. And see, we measure by height, but God has a different measuring system. And what we need to see, this is is a scale that I brought from my house this morning. And uh, what we need to understand is that uh, God does not measure by height. God measures by weight. God wants to know, is there substance to it? Is there weight to it? And so not just what is the numerical attendance, but hey, did somebody get saved? 
Was the gospel declared? Was somebody encouraged? Did someone make a decision to follow Christ in baptism? Not just is there height to it, is there weight to it, is there substance to it? And I just want to let you know that at Rock Hill Church, this is something that we are adamant about. This is something that we are passionate about. We don't care if we are a cool church. We don't care if we're a hip church or an edgy church. We don't care about the height. We want to make sure, is there weight to it? Is there substance to it? Are people being changed? Are are people being saved? Hey, where's the weight? Not just does it feel good, but is the gospel being declared? Not just does the word tickle my ears and, oh, that sounds really good and and, and elicit an emotional response, but, hey, are we actually studying the words of God? It's not about the height. It's about the weight. Is there substance to it? See, the Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse number 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. See, is there weight to it? It's so important that we start looking where God is looking. God is not looking at the height. God is not concerned with that. God's looking at the weight. He's looking at the heart. Is there substance? Is there substance to it? You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 3, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair or of the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be hidden, let it be the hidden man of the, what is it? heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price height or heart there's a flower it's called the imperial crown flower I think we have a picture this morning it's a really interesting and uh, kind of unique flower it uh, kind of sprouts downward and and uh, uh, very very beautiful to look at especially when they're uh, when there's a bunch of them together and uh, what's interesting though about the imperial crown flower is that gardeners will tell you that if you're going to purchase one of these flowers or if you're going to look to plant one of these flowers you have to be careful because even though they look good they all have this skunk-like odor to them and so even though they look good externally, when you come up close to them, they smell awful. And so you have to be careful when buying this particular flower because it looks good on the outside. But when you get up close to it, um, it has this odor. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 28, even so also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. They had the wrong perspective. Samuel, Jesse, They had the wrong perspective about Eliab. But I want you to see they also had the wrong perspective about David. Are you still with me today? They had the wrong perspective about David. Notice in verse 11. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. Now, this is important for us to understand. This was Jesse, David's father's estimation of his own son. He's like, yeah, I got one more kid. I got one more son, but he's the youngest. He's out working in the field, and he's a shepherd, so he's kind of a lowly position. And so David's own father's estimation of him is that he was too young, too busy, and too lowly. Yeah, I have one more son. He's he's just too busy, too young, too low. That was his own father's view of him. He didn't have the approval of his own father. Can I just tell you, by the way, that we should stop seeking the approval of man Paul said, I am persuaded that I'm not, I'm not going to live my life uh, seeking the approval of man. I'm going to live my life for the audience of one. And as long as I'm approved uh, by Jesus Christ, then I'm good to go. And so here's David was considered too young, too busy, too lowly. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Here's the fourth indication that you need a new heart. 
that you need a change of heart. Number four, when you take the easy way out. You might need a new heart if you're looking to take the easy way out. Notice verse number eight. Still have one more point in you today? Verse eight. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Brother after brother after brother was presented to Samuel. And every time, God said no until there was no other options. Now imagine being Samuel in that situation. God told him to go and to find Jesse and to anoint one of his sons to be king. And now he's seen all of his sons. And God has said no every time. What Samuel had here was an opportunity to compromise. He could have thought, I mean, God brought me here. These are all my options. So I, I guess I just better pick one. I'll just, I'll, I'll take him. Maybe, maybe it should be Eliab. Or he could have thought, man, God brought me here. We've looked at every single option. And there's, God has not given me a piece about it. He hasn't told me. So I guess I'll just go back home. See, he had this opportunity to compromise. He had an opportunity to take the easy way out. And, and could we blame him if Samuel just said, well, God said no to all these brothers, so I'll just go home. But what did Samuel do? He pushed through. He persisted. Notice it, verse number 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Samuel said, there's got to be someone else. Jesse, uh, God has not given me a piece about this. Are you sure? Is there not another brother somewhere? There's got to be someone else. What did he do? He persisted. He pushed through. He said, I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm going to persist. I'm going to commit to this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 3 says this. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit your works to the Lord. So often we say that we're committed, but we look for the first escape route. We look for the first off-ramp. Whatever the easiest way out, that's what we like to take. But what would happen if some people of God say, you know what? I'm going to power through. I'm going to push through. I'm going to keep on persisting. I'm not going to grow weary in well-doing for in due season. I shall reap if I faint not. So I'm going to keep on serving. I'm going to keep on giving. I'm going to keep on sacrificing. I'm going to keep on asking for the glory of God. I'm going to persist through. He says, there's got to be someone else. There's got to be another option. By the way, whenever the devil tells you you have no options, don't listen. Because God will always provide a way. He will always make a way when there seems to be no way. Sometimes our options seem so limited, but with God, there's always another option. There's always an escape route. We see persistence, but I want you to see in verse number 11, one other attribute. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him. Uh, Speaking of David, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Do you see that phrase? We're not going to sit down until he comes. What was he saying? I'm willing to stand right here until I see David. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything else until I fulfill my assignment. Until I see David, until he comes, I'm not going anywhere. And so what do we see? He was persistent, but he was also patient. 
A lot of times we just want to rush in and and try to uh, figure out the next step, and we will prematurely uh, seek the next step. But we have to have the ability to wait on God's timing and say, you know what, I'm not doing anything until I get a peace from God. So often the reason why we find ourselves experiencing so much heartache is because even though we don't have a peace about something, we're trying to push through anyways. Samuel said, I'm not moving. I'm, I'm staying right here. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, verse number two, also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. When we're just quick to do things our way, we're just quick to make decisions. I don't need to seek counsel. I don't need to pray. I don't need to seek God's word. I don't need to do any of these. I'm just going to do what I want to do. He that make haste with his feet is someone that sins. We have to have the ability to wait. Notice verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, a redhead, and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. I love the irony here. Jesse wanted Eliab because of his looks. But then the Bible says that David was beautiful. Can I tell you that God's option is always the best? Sometimes we think, oh, no, this looks so good. That looks so fun. But God's will is the best plan for your life. He's not holding out on you. It's the abundant life, the best life. I love how Psalm 37 puts it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. Watch this. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. See, there is a blessing that comes to those that are willing to wait on God's timing. And God wants you to inherit the earth. He wants to give you a good fruit. He wants to bless your life. The Bible says that eye hath not seen, ear hath, hath not heard, nor entered into the heart of man for those things that are prepared uh, for them that love him. Hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful purpose for your life. He wants to bless you immeasurably, but we have to be willing to wait on his timing. Blessed are those that wait. I wonder how many opportunities we miss and how many blessings we miss because we try to rush through life and we don't wait on God's timing. I want to read one more verse today, and as I read it, I'd like to ask you to join me in standing. If you have your Bible, keep it open. I want to read one more verse. Verse 18. If you're there, would you say amen? Leave it in the chat today. If you're looking at verse 18, say amen. Verse 18 says this. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's talking here about David. Everybody with me? Talking about David. And then he says this. That is cunning in playing. David was a skilled musician. He was cunning in playing. And a mighty, valiant man. He was a leader. He had strength. Next phrase. And a man of war. He was willing to go to battle and fight for what is right. He had courage. The next phrase, he was prudent in matters. 
He was very wise. He was a comely person. He was, he was good to look at. And the Lord is with him. He was someone that sought the will of God, and God was present in his life. God was with him. See, when Jesse and Samuel looked at David, what did they see? Someone that was too young, too busy, too lowly. But when David stepped on the scale, there was some substance to him. There was some weight to it. I want to encourage you today to start looking where God is looking. It's not about height. It's about heart. And maybe today you're standing in this room or maybe you're watching online and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today where you would spend eternity. And the Bible talks about how that's a matter of the heart, what's on the inside. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. See, the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart, that's actually not a phrase that's anywhere in Scripture, to ask Jesus into your heart. But what the Bible does tell us is that Christ can dwell in our hearts. How does that happen? By faith. Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37 says, As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine, what? With all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he went and got baptized. See, today the most important decision that you could ever make is to invite Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life. He'll give you a brand new heart. He promises a home in heaven eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. It's not by works, it's not by religion, but it's by accepting the free gift of salvation and Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.